This episode of the Pursuit Podcast is presented by Fisher Skis. What's up, everybody? Mr. Adam X here, your host. You're listening to the Pursuit Podcast on the Auto Collective. My guest this week, little curveball from my normal guests. Um, he's a hard enduro trials enduro cross rider, Cody Webb. I've followed this guy for years, so it was a really fun conversation to have. And we have a little history. I reminded about him. I reminded him about them in the podcast. Uh, we talk about everything. Switching from he was a factory KTM Red Bull Red Bull KTM rider to shifting gears and switching to Sherco. We talk about his background and kind of what led him to make what would seem like a giant leap from a dream gig, Red Bull, KTM, to jumping to, you know, being on Sherco. So we talk about that. It's just a fun conversation. There's a total change of pace from everything that you guys hear. We do a lot of cycling and a lot of skiing and running. So this is for the motorheads, the two-strokers, the four-strokers, the dirt bike people. So I hope you enjoy the episode as much as I did. Before we get into the episode, I have to share my sponsor this week. I believe Cody is also sponsored by them, so we have a mutual sponsor here. Onyx Backcountry, onyxmaps.com. It's it's such a fun app, and it's so neat because you can follow like heat maps and hot zones and see where people have been running and hiking. And you can just explore new zones. I love it because I'm in the van and I'm traveling all the time. So for me, if I'm somewhere new and I don't really know it, I can I can navigate to those places and be safe. Mark my van so I know how to get back. It's it's a no it's a no brainer. It's literally I'm in this in the winter. I say it's a guidebook in your pocket, and it doesn't change for the summer. Just because we're not touring. We're still running. We're still doing all those things that we do in the woods. So go to onyxmaps.com and check it out. Yo, now for my second sponsor this week, thefeed.com forward slash the pursuit. We're giving it to you here at the Auto Collective, here at the Pursuit with our friends at the feed. We are giving you free Kyoku. It's a breakfast shake for KOMs, for marathons, for your for your PRs. It's a meal replacement, and it's good. That's the best part. Get some Kyoku. It's a little powder. You open it up, put it in some almond milk. You can put it in some water. You can try apple juice. You can try whatever you want. Uh, and the best thing about it is you can try it literally for free. Go to thefeed.com forward slash the pursuit. It's the breakfast shake you've been waiting for. It's the breakfast shake you've thought about that you wish existed. It exists. Again, thefeed.com forward slash the pursuit. Get it for free. Now it's time for that episode. Hope you enjoy. I'm Cody Webb. I'm factory off-road and drill racer for the Factory One Churco racing team. And I ride motorcycles for a living and avoid a desk job the best I can. <laughs> How long have you been doing this professionally? I uh, just turned 34. It's like, I think that's my first time saying that publicly. It kind of sucks. But um, I started competing in trials when I was 15 at the pro level. So 
um, I guess it was pretty cool being in high school and having like a small salary to ride motorcycles and travel the world, but, uh, pretty much been, you know, riding professionally, whether it's trials or enduro, enduro cross, whatever it is I do kind of just a little bit of everything. I dabble in it all except motocross and street bikes pretty much. Did you, so you never had that, like, you never had to get a real job, quote unquote, like you. Uh, I kind of had a real job. So the day I turned 18, uh, my dad was the manager for a big construction firm originally from California. And uh, he was like the shop manager. So the day I turned 18, I had to go down to like doctor's dock in the box, take a drug test. And I basically just steam clean tractors every day and uh, get out of school, go steam clean. But my dad was the boss and he knew I was riding. So it was, it wasn't like a real, real job. Like, you know, during the summer I worked more, but during the school year, it wasn't as heavy. And, you know, if I was riding, I would work seven to noon and then I would go and ride in the afternoon. So I, I did that for a while. Um, it just really sucks in the middle of summer when it's, you know, nearly hundred degrees and you're wearing a rain suit outside in the heat steam cleaning an excavator like that wasn't very fun and then uh after that i i uh i worked for a general contractor for a bit so i kind of just dabbled in a little bit of i don't know manual labor all across the board whether it's steam cleaning or you know building fences helping you know renovate bathrooms or something like that so it it allowed me to learn some skills at least other than just balancing <laughs> on a two wheels and your bread and butter early career was trials riding. Yeah. Yeah. I only rode trials my whole life because my mom said dirt bikes were dangerous because, you know, she watched the motocross stuff and people landing on each other. And so I, I wasn't allowed to have a dirt bike until unless I bought it for myself. So when I was, I think, 19, I bought my first dirt bike and raced a race an enduro cross race two weeks after that and been, uh, you know, I was still riding a lot of trials at the time. And then dirt bike was just the fun aspect for me, something new and exciting. And now, now it's kind of the other way around. Like trials is just what I do for fun. No, no competitions or anything anymore. And the, the dirt bike is kind of the bread and butter now. But I mean, fortunate for you, enduro cross, whatever we want to call hard enduro got popular. And that like having a trials background had to just be like, a cheat code it was yeah it's literally a yeah, perfect way to put it as a cheat code i mean i had never even done a any off-road race ever and i just went to a local hair scramble in district 36 where i was and i just i guess you're supposed to sign up c and like build points but i just i just went and signed up a and i won my very first ever a class i mean i wasn't in a pro class but i think i got like 10th overall but i had never even done a a dirt bike off-road race before and like I finished and like my hands were completely bloody because I wasn't used to that type of riding it's, it's completely different you know it's uh you know I was obviously it was a cheat code but at the same time you didn't really have that aggression or speed so that was something I had to kind of learn with time and I did you know there was two years or so there where I rode a lot of motocross during the week and I was going to school at the time so the motocross track I would just go on my break and do a couple motos and then come back to do some uh, engineering classes smelling kind of stinky and sweaty from <laughs> riding earlier but uh yeah i don't know there's just been 
I just feel really fortunate that things worked out and I was able to do what I enjoy, you know? Yeah. There's something to just, to like just committing to what you think you want to do and, and doing it. And not everyone is always that fortunate, but like you clearly had a great trials career and then you just hit this perfect wave of this hard enduro push. And we actually met, I don't know if you know this or remember this, we met at an arena cross or enduro cross series in Vegas. Um, I don't know when that was. That photo pops up every I don't once know in a while. But I was working for Drift Innovation, which is like a POV camera. I think they kind of exist. Yeah, I remember that camera. Yeah. I, yeah, I don't know. I think I got one from you guys. Or Yeah, I'm the one who like got it yeah for you it was like we need to like get this guy and i remember like pitching to you maybe you don't remember but i was like you will be because i think you had like a gopro offer maybe and gopro wasn't the gopro we know now yeah but i was like you will be our travis pastrana like you will be our biggest star and we will help promote you and then i think the company like fizzled like a day later so i apologize for any of that but it's okay there was like drift camera then there was like ghost was one of your models the ghost or something yeah Yeah. so the ghost was okay yeah it's coming back to me Uh, well i was part of that mess um yeah i think they still exist actually i don't know you know there's always brands that just survive but uk break they probably sell them at harbor freight now or something they just like released a new (laughs) camera but it was like why are you still doing this like it was really bizarre and and but at that time we didn't know like we didn't know gopro would be what gopro is and drift was like an actual sponsor of the uh what was it called enduro cross that still exists yeah enduro cross yeah yeah they were like an official spot like they were putting money into the u.s market to grow and then they just boom done but yeah so that's where we had crossed paths and that's where i had like known who you were and i'm my I'm a dirt biker, but not, I just like smashing into things and riding <laughs> single track. Enjoying yourself, not struggling. I don't know if I enjoy it at all. Like I try to explain it to people like single track and like hard enduro. That's my world. I'm not good at it, but that's my, but like people are like, wait, you just, and I'm like, yeah, the nastiest, like grossest things you can find. That's what you try to like work your way up. Yep. And I don't know, it's just there's something about getting over that challenge and making it work. It makes you feel good inside. I, I guess it's, I don't know, it's something. So I'm going to just go back a little bit. So how does your career start? So you get a dirt bike because your mom can't tell you no. And when do things start like becoming like, holy cow, I can do this. Like I can live off of this. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I was riding trials and making some money, but, you know, it was for a kid, it was fine and living at home and I lived at home till I was 26 or something like that. So it it took a while for me to kind of get my way myself up there. But uh, yeah, it was 2008 was my first uh, enduro cross race on the enduro bike. And then I almost made the main event. I was like the first person not to be able to qualify or something like that. And then the next year I traveled with a guy, I think they're enduro cross on like three rounds back then. And I didn't go to the first one. It was all the way in Oklahoma. And I drove with a buddy to Denver and I made my very first ever main event. 
and I think I got ninth with my my chain falling off in the wood pit or something like that. Like I just, literally was just riding a bone stock bike, and you know the the stock chain guides are not good on any motorcycle. So and then I went to Vegas the final round and I made the main event again. So I think I've ever since I made that very first main event back in 2009, I've never not made a main event since then. And um, I think when things kind of started changing for me is when I got signed to the the factory beta team in 2011. Um, in 2010, I was still really mo- mainly focusing on trials and the dirt bike thing was just for fun with Enduro Cross and Hard Enduro really wasn't even a thing yet in the States. Like we didn't even have a Hard Enduro race back then. So um, 2010, I won the the trials national championship. I was riding a gas gas then. And it was like my best year ever on the trials bikes. And I got an offer from beta to basically be the do it all guy, like right, ride the trials nationals and ride their enduro bike. And they, they built me like a full one-off custom enduro cross bike. They, they had just come out with their 350 motor and they built me like a two speed. I think they dropped like, I think almost 20 pounds off the stock bike for my race bike for enduro cross. Like I had full titanium, everything. So I feel like that was when things kind of started uh, changing for me because I was just a trials guy and trials never really gets the respect it deserves. And then uh, I got the factory beta ride. They came out the new bike. It was new importer and everything. So I think there was like a lot of push with the magazines and, you know, dirt rider was a big uh, magazine. Then it's pretty much gone now, but dirt bike still is doing all right. But uh Dirt Rider was coming in with Enduro Cross. So I think I got a lot of just media exposure from kind of being a new guy and riding a beta. And it was kind of new, exciting thing. So that really helped a lot for me. And uh, then beta came out with their two stroke in 2013. So I rode them for four years and boom, that's like, as soon as I got on that bike and it was super competitive for that, you know, style of riding and the motor was really good. Um, and I just started clicking off wins and winning Enduro Cross. You know, we didn't have as much hard Enduro then, but we had King of Motos and TKO. I won both those. So that's when things really started kind of picking up. And that's about the time I started riding more motocross to cross train and got faster. So it just things kind of just, you know, like a snowball effect. It just started with a little bit here and then kept motoring along. Do you think being an American helped you in that situation because it wasn't a very, and still isn't really, um, an American dominated sport. And you were like, this, yeah, like, I think that, I think that definitely helped in beta, you know, they didn't really have any guys in Europe riding. So I got to go to like hell's gate, which was an extreme race. And I think I got on the podium there a couple of times on the four stroke and the two stroke. So that kind of helped get me my foot in the door with the European scene. And then in 2014, I was on beta and I went to Erzberg and I didn't really have a great, I think I got 10th, which, you know, people would say that was a huge yeah, standout thing, but I was kind of under the radar. Um, no one really knew much about me really. And it was so unfair. Like that race is the biggest crock of shit ever like it's literally like catered for whoever's ktm's 
bride star to win every year like <laughs> like M- manny right now is the star and like he can go out and walk the event and like his dad will go with them and like no one else is allowed to go but like he like he there's all these perks to being on a ktm there because it's basically fully sponsored by ktm i love, you know? I love that you said this because it just happened right and Dur- uh erzberg just happened this weekend yeah the fact that mario roman went there and got second is it's pretty good like <laughs> it's really good right but like there's people calling out people for like their dad was helping them and Jarvis got DQ'd. And I don't really, I haven't really figured out why Jarvis got DQ'd. So I found out he, he drowned his bike out in those puddles right in the start, which I think he's done before too, but you know, he's down in the bottom of the pit and someone touched his bike and helped him. And he got DQ'd for that, I guess. So. He literally came from like no live for people. An hour back. Like 500th yeah. place to like eighth and then got DQ'd. Right. Or something like. Yeah. Yeah. 12th me. I don't know. He got it's incredible what he did and they're like oh you're dq but like jarvis has been dq'd like five times like he didn't go to the right checkpoint or like there's just a lot of weird things at that race so anyways i didn't make the first hill so i was about in 50th place and the whole time i just kind of kept picking people off and taylor robert and i another american we literally battled to like I literally was walking the thing. I'm like, Oh, the finish line is so easy. Like what happens if people like are battling to the finish and they're like, Oh no, this never happens. And sure enough, I'm the guy that's like battling Taylor Robert to the finish. We both passed the checkpoint guy thinking like he was like right before the little girl cross thing. So I, I think I got 10th my first year. Uh, I didn't go the next year cause we had uh, X games and girl cross when they had that in the States. And then, uh, 2016 was huge because I went to Erzberg. I rode the old bike because they just come out with the new chassis, but I hadn't ridden it and I liked the other bike that I had. So I rode the old bike and everyone rode the new chassis. And I got second that year at Erzberg. And then the next year I went back and I backed it up with a third. And even though I got third, I was a lot closer to the finish. And I had such bad arm pump at the beginning of the race. I felt like I I felt like that race was mine and I lost it because I made up so much time at the end of like the whole, you know, last third of the race, but I had screwed myself and dug myself in a hole. So at that point, what bike um, are you riding? What's that? I'm on a KTM. I went to KTM. So you switched KTM 2015. I didn't know what year you switched. So 2016 new chassis still carbureted though. Yeah. Still carbureted. Okay. And then, so they were riding the 2017 bike, which was the Makuni carb, which I think they did that on purpose. So then when you thought you got a decent bike, when you went to TPI, <laughs> I'm on a 2018 um, KTM carbureted. I'm staying true with my carb, but you have a Makuni on there, which is, it's so finicky. It'll run good. Like at one place and you go somewhere else and you're like, mm, it's not quite where it needs to be right now. That is valid, but I travel with a bike way less than you do. Um, yeah. Okay, so East fair. coast is very easy. And then I went out West and I actually had it pretty dialed in. I was, I was impressed with my mechanical skills. I like, buddies. Yeah. I did all these like, you know, theories in my head and like, okay, if I hit this elevation, like I should, and I was like, and I nailed it. So, I mean, another week, I probably would have blown the thing up, but it worked for when I got it. It made its way out. You got yeah. it home. Yeah, I got it there and back. But go ahead. I'm so, sorry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So in 2015, I rode for a satellite KTM team. So I went from like factory beta to like a satellite 
the RPM KTM racing team. And uh, when I went there, I was like pretty bitter because I thought I deserved the factory KTM ride. And then like all that year, I pretty much beat all the factory KTM guys on the satellite team. But I wasn't like a true satellite rider. Like I was getting full factory suspension from KTM and they built my motor and I was riding the two stroke still for enduro cross then. And it was like the most ridiculous motor ever. Like I went to the first round, it was like a rocket ship. And like, by the end of the year, I like detuned, like we kept like making it slower and slower. Cause they just pumped. They cared more about horsepower than torque. You know what I mean? And yeah. I'm, I'm a torque guy. I came from the trials side of things where. Well, and if you're just holding really on for dear life, like the yeah. whole time, like you don't need that. You're making it harder for me to hold on. Yeah. You don't need that all the time. Did you get, did you feel like when you were at Erzberg with, cause you eventually got you signed with factory KTM, right? Yeah. Did you feel like you had an advantage? Like, could you feel? Oh Yeah. Yeah. Like when I went from 2014 and then I went again in 2016, it was like, it was crazy how much more I was able to see. And I think, I don't, I think Manny raced, I forget the first year Manny raced, but like I had like literally buddied up with him and he was getting like press bibs or like working staff bibs from people. And like, we were getting like driven around in a car to go walk and look at these things. And like the previous year, like I literally had like blistered feet from walking and it's, I'm telling you, you just literally have to find the locals and you're squared away. I mean, I'm sure that's just part of it. Like with any hard enduro style event, just knowing who's who who to talk to and i think if you just roll in with the factory ktm red bull trailer that just comes easier yeah it's so yeah so then injury but happens. hang out with manny at erzberg and then you're you're squared away like he, are we mad at manny he knows should everyone I, should i call out no, manny? I'm, I'm jealous of him <laughs> that's a good answer no i'm not mad i'm just he won right he won this year oh he yeah, yeah. he totally earned it so i mean he's damn good he's riding on a bike. so good he's riding so good yeah it's yeah i don't i don't know that skill set so then injury right this is your knee injury at this point oh uh i don't know i in 2017 i went and i was like really looking forward to it like i felt like i was riding really good and then uh, I broke my foot uh, in the prologue on day two, like an idiot. <laughs> so you're out. Like I was first row, I was first row and I literally like just swapped like full speed ahead, swapped and I tore the MCL on my knee. I broke like the end of my ring finger, like just a little piece was just like floating and I broke my foot. So I was... Uh, and I got up and I like, you know, your adrenaline's going. So you're like, I can't believe I'm okay. Whoa. And I start, I, I got on my bike and I just was like, oh, I'll just put up the hill and then I'll go walk stuff. And like, as I'm riding and I'm like, man, my foot really hurts. <laughs> and it's like five minutes later, I'm like, oh, my finger's throbbing. Like I must've just, you know, bruised my nail and like have to like release the blood pressure under my nail. And then I stood up to like a rocky thing. It was like kind of choppy. I was like, oh, I'll stand up. And I felt like my knee like wobble and like cave. And I was like, oh my God, something is really Ugh. wrong. 
and I just should have turned around, but like, it's so dangerous because everyone's flat out. I didn't know, like, I didn't know a good way. So I rode all the way to the top of the mountain, just like in pain, broken foot, torn ligament in my knee, a broken finger. And then I had to ride all the way back down and I get to the KTM pits because normally everyone sneaks and walks as much as they can. So it takes like an hour and a half to get back to the truck when it should only take like 15 minutes. Right. And, uh, I pull up to the rig and I just put my good leg down and they're like looking at me like, cause they figured something was wrong. And I was like, everything on this, like everything's wrong on my right side. Like something's <laughs> I'm hurt. So I did announcing that year. Yeah. I was just going to say you went, they put you in as an announcer, which was, I guess, again, the perks of being on KTM Red Bull is oh, you're out, yeah. but let's use you. How was yeah. that? And I think being in a podium, that was awesome. And then it was funny. There's like memes and stuff coming afterwards. It was like factory KTM deciding if they should use me as a racer, or as like a commentator. Cause I guess I did pretty good. So I, I enjoy it a lot. And then, um, I, when I broke my wrist last year, which was led to what this wrist break was, I guess it, it wasn't ever healed. Um, I did announcing for the Enduro Cross series as well because I had nothing else better to do. So I got to do TV time with Daniel Blair, which was fun. Do you, you enjoy it? You enjoy the, the yeah. announcing? I mean, it's the next best thing. And it's like, I mean, I haven't got paid for it. I can probably like, they told me I should have asked them for some money or at least cover my expenses oh, when I did Enduro yeah. Cross because it was for the TV thing. But um, it's, uh, you know, if you get good at it, like, you get to go to the race and call it and not have to put all the hard work in. To, yeah. But it could uh, be also yeah. like, like you have plenty of years left in your career, but like life after career is a, a you can make a good living and announcing. Yeah. I think it'd be like a fun side hustle. If I can find the right people and get in, you know, there's, you should definitely ask for money. We talk about money on the podcast yeah. a lot. We never talk actual dollars and cents, but you should get paid for your time no matter what, especially if you're good yeah, with it. And probably. it's, it's put it on Red Bull and they, TV. And they want me to be there. It's yeah. not like I'm begging. They're like, oh, yeah, we'd love to have you. you yeah, know? you got to get paid for that. I'll I'll call them. I'll be your manager. Yeah, there we go. That's my next gimmick. I'm just going to be everyone's manager and just take a cut of everyone who's more talented than me. Be my <laughs> new thing. But so you announce because you, you have to. That's I mean, you don't have to, but like. I, I'm, I'm literally there with nothing else to do. Like I am. I want to be utilized, you know, like, and what a cool opportunity though. And like, you yeah. don't know if you're good at this at that point, they're yeah. just taking a risk on you being like, let's put them on. And who's the, who's the, I think the perfect role for you. This is, this is years from now, but the one guy rides the course and then like announces mid course. I forget. His Paul Bolton. Yeah. He, he used to race like two years ago. Yeah. That's the way to do it. That's like, you still get to then ride. Then you get to ride the course and have fun, but not destroy yourself. Yeah. Like if you don't make it, you just take the long way up and like, yeah, exactly. that's the move. That's we'll get there. We'll get there. What do you think the hardest race in the world is right now? Probably Erzberg, I guess, or maybe Romaniacs, depending on the day. Romaniacs just like, it was so different than what I thought it was. And this year was a little bit easier. They had day two was like ridiculously gnarly, like in two sections, but it's just so such long days and you have to be mentally focused because you're ripping trails. And then all of a sudden you do like 
a 20 minute climb of misery and then you get straight back to ripping like a ridge line so it was a lot different than when i was anticipating or like after watching videos and stuff but erzberg difficulty wise is that's the that's the gnarliest one i'd say and then tough like roar did a pretty good job last year of, of kicking our butts that that was uh i think three people finished two laps in six hours so maybe it was five hours but no yeah it was he had six hours to do two laps and three of us finished it was i was beat is that do you get second in that i won tough like roar you won tough like roar. okay sorry what there was one where you battled with i think taylor it was like one of the greatest race, like hard enduro races back and forth. I've watched in a long time, but I think you took second. I could be wrong. It was probably Taylor or Tristan Hart. Tristan Hart and I have had a couple pretty good races. Maybe last it was couple Tristan. years, he stepped it up pretty good. But that stuff is always fun to watch, and some of the coverage has been like phenomenal for that stuff. Like they're actually starting to figure it out and like get cameras, and and that only helps you guys. That just puts you guys yeah. on the map because it's like it's hard for people listening or watching to fathom how hard this stuff is. And we make it look too easy. And then you watch the amateurs and they're all bottlenecks. So like that makes it even harder because they don't have a run at anything. Yeah. I, I, so it's insane. It's like the first, just be one of the first five guys through and you'll be all right. Like that's, but like you have to be good enough to be one of those guys, you know? Oh yeah. You don't even get like, yeah, you have no chance of like getting anywhere. If you start in 300th place, like you're not, it just doesn't. Unless you're Jarvis. I don't like, he's probably got a POV of his whole run of him just plinking people off, but he's like, yeah, he doesn't go fast. I mean, he goes fast. Like, don't get me He wrong. He used so... to not go fast, but I don't know what happened, but he he's fast now. He, you don't realize it because you just think he's old and, like, crusty, but, you know, he's fast. Well, I mean, he's fast, but he's, like, fluid. Something happened. He used to just be, like, meander his way through, like, the tortoise and the hare. Now he's, like, the hare, but the tortoise through the rock. I don't know. He's going to get caught it. for, like, EPO or something. He's juicing. I don't <laughs> Yeah, something, man. That's crazy. Like, I was literally chatting with Johnny Walker about this at Romaniacs, because Johnny used to beat... That's why he would win Romaniacs. It's a faster event with some, some like, you know, obviously a ton of hard technical stuff, but it's more of a faster rally-style event. Yeah, he could gain and time said, on the straight. Yeah, he would gain time, and now he's, like, losing time the whole time to Jarvis. And he's like, I don't understand. Like, it's not like I've gotten worse. <laughs> yeah, Jarvis is just the fountain of youth. Yeah. I don't know. Doesn't look it, but I think he's just like he's keeping the youth internally and then externally he's just keeps aging. That's maybe that's what's going on. I read something. Someone just asked him like how he trains and he's like, I just rest a lot now. Like he's because he needs more rest. He's like, I can't ride yeah. harder because I need the time in between the races to just recover. So he's like, yeah. I just rest. <laughs> I was like, that's, that's your strategy, is just resting and just relying on <laughs> just pure skills. skill. Yeah, he's. I mean, it's insane. How do you? What's nutrition look like for these races? Like, are you? Do you have a nutritionalist or nutritionist? Do you have like a meal plan? These are long races that you're burning. People yeah, have- n- normally, like 
not the night before but like two days before the event i'm normally going to like a local steakhouse and going like full ribeye like i'm like packing in that long (laughs) sustaining energy type stuff um and then night before the race normally i just it all just depends where i'm at whether i trust what i'm going to be eating or not sometimes we'll get an airbnb and we'll cook stuff but um a lot of times it'll be like fish or chick something a little bit lighter the night before, but um, pretty hearty breakfast normally too, unless the race is super early. But um, we, the team has a deal with Hammer Nutrition and the CEO of Hammer used to race moto back in the eighties. And obviously he's pretty educated on stuff. So I've had a lot of chats with him and he basically tells me before those big events, basically just to eat a big breakfast like if it's two hours before just like cram down whatever so your body has enough time to digest and then by the time after two hours the race starts you know your blood your blood's not in your stomach trying to digest it it's you know fully ready for you to use so there's been times where i wake up extra early on purpose just so that way i have that fuel for the next day or for later that day right it's an early race and what about mid-race um, sometimes I've gotten a little bit older now. So cramp cramping has began. Um, I never really had that before. So mid race, sometimes like at battle of the ghost or something like that, I'll start kind of battling with cramps or I know they're coming. I'll stop in and I'll just like munch down a bunch of banana and like take two Advil and just go out again and <laughs> I take goo packs, but I mean, it was a, we did Red Bull override a couple of years ago, Mario Roman one. And I felt like Mario and I were going back and forth. We put some ground on Tristan and uh, he was cramping super bad at that race. Uh, we both lapped him in six hours, but he was like, I caught, I caught up to him and he was like, he's like, I can't even ride. My cramps are so bad, but I remember struggling pretty bad. I think I had one lap to go and I came in and I was like, I popped, I ate like, some honey stinger waffle some banana and i popped like three advil and took off and i felt like that was my best lap because i couldn't push as hard as i wanted to so i wasn't really getting fatigued but like my body was run down because it just needed something you know so you know it just depends on the race but lately a lot of times these races have been hot especially on the east coast i'll run uh i'll have a second camelback ready to go so when i come in pop another camel back on so i got plenty of water and uh you know some of these races i'm almost drinking six liters you know by tough like roar or something like that nearly six liters of water in three and a half hours so i'm trying to keep as hydrated as i can and normally we'll leave food out there half the time i won't grab anything but if i know i'm starting to fall (laughs) apart i'll definitely take a couple bites of something they say pickles are like huge for cramps yeah pickle juice i guess I have brought pickle juice to races as well. I think it's just mental. I think if I have a pickle, I'm like, ah, this will help me. Yeah. So, I forget. I And mustard. Like, I know people take like, must, like a lot of cyclists oh, like I take mustard, mustard packs, just like the little McDonald's mustard oh, packet. That makes me sick. I couldn't imagine. I hate mustard in general, but like being well, hot we, and having I a mustard pack. I where I was. I think we was earlier this year when I was hurt, I went to the Billings, Montana, the Bentonite brawl hardened row. And 
I think I looked it up there, why mustard helps. And it was kind of like more of a mental thing, but they don't really scientifically know, but it does help. And it's, I forget, I don't know the scientific terms, but it does something apparently. Placebo. If you think it works, it works. It's like. Exactly. I mean, I guess that's. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not going to be having any mustard packets. It worked. It worked in Space Jam when they drank Michael Jordan's yeah secret water. So it has to work. Yeah, that's placebo. That's it. So it's mustard. Yeah. That's what we're that's that's what we're going with. I guess everyone. Cody Webb's advice is to eat mustard packets when you are exhausted. Yeah, and then when, when you take a bite of your pickle, just make sure there's no cameras around because enduro memes will come after you with some interesting content oh, we're getting into enduro memes it's on here it's on my list uh, <laughs> i'm just writing notes um i wanted to ask you and i just lost it oh i want to talk about shirko because you so you we didn't we didn't talk about it. we talked about you were on gas gas for trials and then you went to beta and they did all these amazing things for you and then you went fa- ktm and then factory ktm and then you made a surprising move to at least me and went to Sherco. I think most everyone. I would think so, but I can't speak for yeah. everyone. Um, yeah. Was it a choice? Were you, you had some injuries, so were you pushed out? What, well, what did yeah, I had like? a little bit of injuries. I definitely was not pushed out, but you know, like you said earlier, I, you're like, we can make you the Travis Pastrana drift. That's kind of how I, I was, you know, at KTM, I was just another number on the team. And there was always going to be someone else like, like no one leaves KTM. Like you're kind of pushed out on someone else. And I just didn't know if there was anything there long-term and there was just so much like pressure and mandatory, this mandatory, that it, it got really corporate, I feel like. And then it was 2018. I won the FIM super Enduro world championship. And then 2019, I, threw a chain in a race so i didn't score any points and i was like 12 points down in the championship and then final round i literally i think i won the first moto got second the second moto and i was racing against colton haker and then the final moto colton just like completely fell apart and i had the championship in the bag and then like colton's teammate like took some dude out and colton went from fifth to third in the final corner and i went from being world champion to not being world champion it was like my own team F me out of a world championship. And I just had so much distaste and hate for everyone around there that I just didn't want to be a part of it. So that was, that was probably the biggest thing. And then the second thing was just kind of just feeling like I was another number on the squad and that they didn't really care about me. They just wanted me for winning races. Yeah. It's a tough, cause you are, you're there to win. And like, that's part of it, but like, you should be, you, it is a team and you should feel like you're on a team and feel like you're wanted and not just a number. Did Sherco approach you? Did you approach Sherco? What did uh, that- I got approached by Sherco. And then another thing was I always wanted to do more stuff in Europe because I was a little bit younger then and didn't have a family. And I wanted to, you know, race in Europe. I wanted to be against the best guys in the world to prove myself. And it was always like, America's America, Europe's Europe. And I just kept trying. Like, I literally would have to, every year my contract would go up, I would get, uh, 
I get an, I like literally search an offer to go somewhere else and I would get an offer like, Oh, we're, we'll send you to Europe. And then I can't, I had to come back to KTM and be like, Oh, look, I'm going here unless you give me what I want. So it was like, they, I felt like they just didn't care what I wanted. It was just what they wanted. And I was just their pawn. That's, that's sad to hear for sure. Like, yeah. and it had to be a scary business move. Like it's KTM. Oh yeah, it's definitely. It's Nike. It's, it's like, Reebok. It's no one, Adidas. no, no one, no one leaves them. You know. So, uh, Sherco approached me. It was actually one of the guys that was kind of started as our team manager, but he had like a full time job doing other stuff and this and that. So like, it wasn't exactly the right fit for us. But you know, he definitely had the ambition to make it work. And uh, Sherco had just transferred over to a new importer, so forever they just mainly only focus on trials and then the, they wanted to start pushing on the enduro side of things and then they had a um a change to the new importer so it was kind of just something new and exciting and there was like a big push there so i had history since i rode shirko from 2005 to 2009 on the trials team so it's basically all the people that's kind of been with there before and then um you know i had a good offer from beta as well but I had ridden them from for them before, and uh, Beta US is. I think they've done a really good job for their program, and um, you know they they definitely try to make a hard push. But I had a couple times where I traveled to Europe that just put a bad taste in my mouth, and they wanted me to go to Europe, and I was like, I I hated every second when I was there. Like I don't want to be put in that situation again. So. Um, that's kind of why I just ended up going with Sherco and it was kind of just to tell KTM, Hey, I don't need you guys. I'm going to, I'm going to beat you and destroy you guys. <laughs> yeah, so, but- uh, yeah, I just felt like I, I was a premier member on the team. Like they, it was like, they needed me where KTM really didn't need me. Like they still would have been fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. And you were us poster boy. I mean, and still are like, but that sounds corny and cliche, but like, it it helps a brand like Sherco signing an American like you who can ride a dirt bike, who can talk, who can have interviews, who can do podcasts, who can smile. Like it's, that's helpful. That helps a brand. Yeah. You are a, a, a very marketable human being. Um, and I know, so before it was weird with Sherco cause it was, so Clay Stuckey was the importer for just the enduro bikes only. And then they had the trials thing separately. So it was kind of two separate entities doing it all, but then they got, I think Fran, I don't know exactly what happened, but basically it all went under in, under one roof with RYP USA it was Ryan Young that used to do trials. And then they, now the name is factory one, essentially. It's just kind of, I don't know. It's just our, our tagline, I guess, right. our brand. But um so I forget how many bikes Clay was selling. Um, a lot of them were direct, where now is like we're trying to do a strict dealer setup. And, um, you know, some of our bikes, like the used team bikes, they get refurbished and sold either to dealers or people directly. But for the most, like we're not doing any, you know, the, the distributor doesn't send, sell anything straight ahead to people. Like it all goes to the dealers. So, we've, you know, obviously more than double the year I signed more than double enduro bike sales alone. So I'd like to say that I had a helping hand in that. And I think just having 
you know, me switching over and a little bit more trusted um, network and trying to build dealers. And I think that kind of, you know, people want to have faith in what they buy, you know, so, you know, we don't have the same amount of dealers KTM does, but we're, we're trying, you know, every, every six months, you know, we're getting a couple more here and there. And so I, I feel like things are going in a good direction. You know, obviously nothing happens overnight, but I'm trying to do my part to help and win races and promote the brand, promote the bike and being injured sucks, but I'm still trying to help out the best I can. Yeah. It's, I think people want a reason to not ride a KTM. Like they, they do. I mean, I, like I'm on a 2018 300 XCW. You know, what's funny you say that is like 2000. I mean, 2008, there was still a ton of people riding KTMs off road, but there wasn't really the bike to buy purposely for off road, you know, like Cowie was still really big and like the works races on the West coast and, you know, Josh Strang had a ton of success, success with Suzuki um, Rodney Smith with Suzuki in the mid early two thousands. And so at that time, I feel like KTM was the bike people wanted to buy to be different. And now they have such a huge stronghold in the market. Everyone's like time to go to a Sherco time to go to a beta. Like at the Harden Rose, there's even like a decent amount of TMs and you don't really don't see much of those anywhere else. We have a TM dealer here in Buffalo. So they pop up often, but it's funny because people yeah. wear them like on their shoulder, just like any, I don't want to say small brand, but like if it's not a KTM, you have to feel like you have to like defend it. Right. Like, yeah, exactly. GPI's garbage or what you're like, you're like, I don't care what you ride really. But I think the big thing with KTM, why they won that market is they just stuck with, they made or helped pave the way for like an actual woods bike. Like yeah. you weren't taking- that was their bread and butter was the enduro bike like they were not known for moto and then obviously they put that program together when they got to crosser and dungy and all of a sudden it was like a learning year or two and then boom like yeah and it's... they do they do a ton of development they're such a and that's that's their focus you know like kawasaki i think the the off-road program is just a tax write-off i think they specialize in like huge diesel motors for freight movers across the ocean or something <laughs> yeah, like it's, that like but i think it helps brands like beta and Sherco. i would have said gas gas not anymore but like helps those r.i.p yeah but like it helps them come to life and show like there are other options and these guys are doing it and they're doing it right and what i noticed which is just something stupid but i'm on instagram and socials all day and that's what part of my what i do but like Sherco is so active on their Instagram account and they like, I think it was trail bound. Maybe he was like thinking about buying a beta or a Sherco and like Sherco official, you, whatever was like, buy a Sherco. Here's why. And I was like, even, yeah. but even that is like, Oh, you're never going to see orange brand comment on some. I mean, he's got a good following, but some local yokel hard enduro guys, Post. No, definitely, like, definitely not going to happen. But it it was, it was amazing to see, and I was like, I yeah. think, like, I'm like, oh, that makes me want to spend my money there. Yeah, it's I totally, totally get 
like that. You're going to kind of get that, like maybe my chance to get on there. And I think um, we had like an ad campaign, I don't know, a couple months ago now, but it wasn't like me or, you know, Cooper Abbott or like one of the premier guys on the Turco. It was just, they took a bunch of photos of people on Instagram on Turco and just put them all on this huge thing. And they had like 50 different random Turco riders on an ad in dirt bike magazine. Like it's, uh, I don't know. I feel like to me, it's a little bit more of like a family situation, which is probably what KTM was like in early two thousands. So it's, uh, but everyone works hard there. Like there's not many of us and my mechanic, my mechanic, shout out to him, Cody one, but that guy is, uh, I feel bad for him. So I, I try and give him, <laughs> uh, good bonuses when I win because I need to keep him on my side. Cause he's my, uh, he's my savior. That guy, I follow him on Instagram, I think. Yeah. But like, he just, he was like traveling, got pulled over his van, his, his trailer was overweight or something. And he like stored, <laughs> yeah. he, like stored he put your... it in a shed. He, he gave someone a hundred bucks and yeah. like put my race bike, Louise Forsley's race bike, like some tires and tarps, like in some shed and just like put a padlock on it. But like the guy could have just easily taken an ax oh, to it. I would have rode your bike for sure. Yeah. Like <laughs> I would have taken it out, beat the crap out of it, half ass washed it and then been denied it. Like, hundred percent must have been must have been the tweaker down the road yeah i can't believe you returned it but yeah like that's seeing that stuff from like here's like a factory mechanic doing that is like that makes me want to be a part of that brand so whether he knows he's marketing or not like that's part of it like that tells a story and then like i am i've kind of just become the shirko guy and you can't believe how many questions i get of me diagnosing things with someone's bike <laughs> people <laughs> message me on instagram or people text me or like you know people local from where i grew up like they ask the guy at the dealer and they're like oh here's cody like just random people have texted me and i'm like their customer support uh, somehow don't give out my diagnose phone number bike. please <laughs> like so i'm like i think i've literally probably helped like 12 people figure out what was wrong with their bike if it was like an electrical short or this or that or like jetting specs like i don't think you're gonna see uh jeffrey hurlings or someone from ktm yeah <laughs> helping someone set up their bike no way but even I think I'm just too nice. I don't know how to just avoid. So I, I, I can't keep up with everything. I'm sorry, everyone, but some questions just don't deserve an answer. Like, well, I think, you know, what do you have on Instagram? 150,000, 160,000, like somewhere around there. I think people forget that when they're like, they're DMing you, they're literally DMing you. Like, that sounds so stupid and simple to say out loud, but people don't realize that it's two in the morning and they're stuck at the airport and they're scrolling. And then they're like, you posted something 10 hours. Like they comment like that lights up next to your bed when you're like hanging out with your yeah, wife. My, my, like, my notifications are off. Right. But Instagram. it's still like, it's, <laughs> it's on, it's, it's always, yeah. it's always, I mean, we have 16,000 on the podcast and like, those DMs light up. Like I can't imagine multiplying that by, I don't know. I'm not a mathematician, 
but like, like yesterday yesterday i posted some clips and stuff on my story like twisting my throttle my kid was there and like i probably had 30 people message me about my throttle body because i or like my throttle housing because i have like this trick aftermarket yeah you can like it. see the gears yeah yeah and like and then there's like people from portugal like or brazil i'm not sure where they're from but like they're literally like messaging me in Portuguese and saying obrigado. I'm like, can you can at least translate to English? Like I don't speak Portuguese. I, I can tell it's Portuguese, but that doesn't mean I can speak. It's, I mean, it's good too. Like that's what you want. Like that's why yeah, brands I pay you. Respond. I'm not going to, I don't have the time to copy and paste that to Google translate. And then for sure. But in general, like you, so now tomorrow I'm going to go and I'm going to make a video about my handlebar setup. Cause Obviously, it's uh, people are interested. People so, care. Uh, yeah. How long till you're back on a bike? Um. So let's see, it's Wednesday. Monday, I went to my doctor for my two week post op after my second op. So, um, tomorrow's three months. Uh, I got a custom um, wrist brace coming from All Sport Dynamics. He, um. He's kind of worked with off and on with like Don Joy and other races, but he's just, he said it was too much of a pain in the butt. So he just does it on his own now. So it's the same brace Plessinger wore also, but um, my doctor basically told me I can start riding now when I get my brace. So I don't feel ready to ride. Um, My range of motion isn't quite where I need it to be comfortable on the bike yet. So I think next week, maybe I'll start, trail riding um just to basically get like blisters or toughen up my hands but definitely not any aggressive riding like i think i'm gonna mountain bike this weekend and then uh get back on get some throttle therapy he said just go and do light easy riding and he's like it's the best therapy because you need to do it so and this is what you do so just go out and do some riding which i was surprised by because I didn't feel ready to ride at all. I mean, sometimes, like, I don't know. I've had some knee surgeries and they're like, once it's set, it's set. And now you just have to get your mobility back. And the only way to get your mobility back is to do those things. So it's like, yeah, but with knee surgery, it's, it's like four months. You can easily tear it. So you gotta be careful. You gotta at least give yourself four months. I know, but I'm just like, sometimes they like put it very simple. Like, the glue is set. You can wait three years. The glue set or whatever. Yeah. Like you have to get your mobility back and like get the muscles around it. So it's like, and you're always talking to the doctor and you're like, do you know what I actually do though? Yeah. Like <laughs> the, the doctor looked me up because he was confused. Cause like, he's had like, he's the guy that rebuilt Roxon's arm from never being able to work again to, to functioning. Yeah. Really well functioning. Yeah um he's done i don't know he's worked on a lot of hand like all he does is hands and um so i got into the right guy because he said 60 to 70 percent of the time people with the dislocation i have really don't get back to what they should be able to do and he said i should be able to get around 90 to 95 percent range of motion and he was pretty conservative at first with how long I had to have my pins in. And I was pretty bummed because Taddy Blazusiak, he had the same dislocation, same exact log 
he hit, I hit, and he dislocated the same thing. Um, I mean, he had his pins out weeks before I did. And like doing PT, he raced the prologue at Erzberg, but his wrist looks absolutely terrible. Like it looks so swollen. And I, I've been slower on the beginning side of things, but I feel like my, I'm really picking up ground quick now. So I feel like I've done the right thing. And the first two weeks after getting all my pins out, he told me active range of motion. So only just like not forcing it with my other hand, like just try and move it. So I was literally like, like every day, like trying, and I wasn't going anywhere. And I mean, now I got decent range of motion. I mean, it's not like where I needed to be, but I really only started cranking on this on Monday and it feels way better. But when I put it against the wall, I can really put some. Yeah. Really on push it. It. <laughs> I can't, I can't do it freestanding yet, but um, yeah, I'm just trying to be smart with this and Charlie Mullins, you know, he raised GNCCs and national Enduros forever. He, this, he had the same injury as me and it, that injury basically forced him into retirement. He had to, he had surgery, the ligaments didn't heal. And he said the lunate, which is the bone I dislocated, would just, he would literally be riding and would pop out and you have to push it back in. So Jeez. I, I do not want that. No, this so is a slow I went to the right play. doctor and then he told me I could start riding. And I was like, are you kidding me? I, so I went riding. I put my, I have like the kids ride shotgun seat thing yeah. for my kids. So I, I put my kid on the mountain bike today and we, we rode down to the ice cream shop and got some ice cream. That's a start. Wait on the weight. Just even putting weight on it is just gotta be. I didn't even, I didn't even wear my wrist. I haven't even got my wrist brace yet. I just went. That's good though. That's how you got to start. And it's worth it. Cause like an extra month now versus like rushing into something and then being right back where you started is like, yeah. And my, my mango the whole time when, once I heard how serious this was, um, you know, at first I thought I just had a broken radius and I'm like, Oh, easy fix. And then they're like, Oh no, it's, it's dislocated. I was like, really? So um, I, I thought for sure I was just going to be come back for enduro cross and focus on that. And the whole time I was kind of thinking in my head, roughly what he was telling me. And I was like, okay, so TKO is a possibility, but it's just a bonus. If I go, I'm going regardless, but if I race or not, I'll decide when that happens. And, um, I'm still have that mindset. I'm not setting my mind on anything like for sure. Enduro cross is the main goal at this point, but I do really want to be there for two K TKO. And, you know, I probably won't be a hundred percent, but you know, I haven't even ridden a motorcycle yet, but, um, I'm going to do my best and hopefully ride there and we'll see what happens. Yeah, motion will come back quick. Now that it's like if it's recovered and it's healed, like he says. It and now is. that I'm allowed to crank on it, I, I've, he was like, I think he trusted me to go riding. He told me I could go riding because I didn't, I did what he said after I had my surgery. And he's like, yeah, some of the, some of the, he's like, some of you idiots that I work on, <laughs> referring to dirt bike guys. Yeah. He said, like, they'll call me and they'll be like, Oh yeah, I rode today. Like it felt pretty good, but like, it definitely is really swollen. It hurts. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I just took your pins out two days ago. Like, what are you, I told you to take it easy. Yeah. Just wait. Yeah. I think we all do that. I mean, it's, it's hard and I'm sure it's even harder being at your level being told no. And then he tells you to go and you're like, 
<laughs> I don't Wait, know. hold on. I'm not, yeah, I'm not well, ready. And I think the right now the the biggest struggle for me is um I had five pins going every which way in here and my incision right in the top like middle of my wrist which is kind of like your main flexion hyper extension point i couldn't move my wrist for 10 weeks like i was stuck i tried i tried moving it like two weeks after and it was like the pins would just they were going every which way so they would bind on each other and the scar tissue is so ridiculous on the top of my wrist from the scar healing and like just adhering to everything so um and i was careful like all like i normally like you've heard like the scraping technique to i have like i bought a scraper when i blew my knee out so i just like i would scrape all my scars but this one like was like super sensitive and i was afraid of like hitting my pins in there so i didn't really scrape that hard and now i'm kind of having to go back and like this week has just been torture like just digging in like trying to break it up oh my god it hurts so bad but the scar is almost it's getting closer to reckon like you know how like and a fresh scar kind of like gets stuck to everything underneath and like an old scar you can pick it up off your skin like i'm getting closer to be able to pick it up (laughs) off the skin it's called progress i think yeah it is i want to talk i don't want to keep you too long i've had you for almost an hour here so a couple things there's a video of somebody just throwing a log in front of you. <laughs> like, so, okay. So <laughs> that was at silver mountain last year and the pros went and like, we were all walking up this, uh, Creek and I, like, there was like some face slappers we cut out of the way like moved a couple like smaller logs just trying to make alternate lines i wasn't trying to alter the course and like all of us are kind of doing the same thing and i didn't roughly know how long this was going to be in the race i I felt like it was gonna be kind of early from what i heard but i'm like this race this is gonna be the biggest bottleneck of all time like they're we're all just gonna freight train and follow each other up this so like kind of was just trying to like walk the course cut a couple of face slappers so you know, it wasn't like we were moving ribbons or like taking whole logs out of the course or anything like that. So I'm doing, I'm leading at that point, I was leading the the prologue qualifier and I'm like ripping up this hill. And I see this guy kind of like come at me and like chuck this log right in front of me. And I was like, so perplexed. I thought I was like going the wrong way. Like it was someone trying to tell me like I was going the wrong way or so I was like, so baffled at what was going on. And the, the qualifier was so fast. I was like, already had like gnarly arm pump. And then they just like totally threw me off all my rhythm. <laughs> so I just like got going again. I was so, I just didn't know what the hell was going on. But what, like, was he and, just like a pissed off fan that you moved some so logs earlier? Or what? He was one of the guys that helped put on like the course. Like he didn't help put on the van, but he was like a guy that. A volunteer. I guess he's notor- a notorious in that area for like, riding hard enduro but like not even making a trail just like breaking through branches the whole time which i can find with but like not in a race like this is a little different scenario you know what i mean so i got i finished i showed people my gopro like i instantly was like dude what the hell is going on uh i talked to some of the because i know quite a people from that area 
and I showed uh, my friend's wife and she was like, oh my, like, she like freaked out. And I guess she was at the time was sitting right there next to the guy's wife. So she didn't want to like say anything. So she took me aside. I talked to, I didn't talk to the promoter of the race, but I talked to a bunch of other people in the area and the guy stopped by our pits um, after we were all changing bibs and tires and stuff. And he like drove by, he was like leaving and he basically got kicked out of going back to the event. He was a volunteer. And I was like, dude, what, why did you do that? And he's, he was like laughing. Like he thought it was funny. And um, so I was like, why would you do that? Like I literally was in a race and he's like, I'm like, did you find that funny? He's like, I'm like, that was not funny at all. Like, cause I could tell he was like laughing. I'm like, that shit was not funny. Like, this is a race. Like, this is what I do for a this living. My livelihood. He's like, what? And he goes, well, I don't find it very funny when pros are altering my course. And I'm like, what are you talking about? We weren't altering any course. Like we literally cut face slappers. He's like, face slappers are part of the course. And I was just, I started like getting heated with the guy and he just had this shit eating grin on and he still thought it was like, so funny and he basically never apologized and i basically got to the point where i was like dude just get like i can't talk to you like just leave i so he left he drove away i never talked to him again and turns out later i wasn't the only guy he was throwing stuff at and another good friend of mine um i talked to him quite a bit here here and there and he told me he was standing right there and was like he watched him throw the log at me and like rolling and like throwing rocks and stuff down at other riders luckily didn't hit anyone i guess and he said he just like he got on his bike and went back to the pits and just sat at his trailer because he was like so dumbfounded at what he had just seen it is a it is a very bizarre sport as like there's people all over the course yeah people can i mean they're not allowed to help anymore but like depending on the race like people help sometimes too you know yeah they they push, they pull, and it's depending on rules in certain races. They can help, or there's no help zones. But it's a totally bizarre and wild sport for anyone who doesn't know what we're even talking about here. But it's like, it's literally anybody could just walk up and, like, punch you in the head at any time. And this guy literally runs up for anyone. I'll, I'll share the video. But like It wasn't he, a stick. Like, it was a log. It's a log. He just runs up and throws a log in front of Cody while he's riding. And I think you're, like, audible. It's like, what the fuck, dude? Like, it's like it's gold. It's. I was it's like, like, why are you blocking me? Because I, I, I had no idea. And everyone's like, why didn't you hit the guy or, like, run into him? I'm like, I'm in a race, dude. Like, Yeah, you're not thinking. Like, you're not. There was no possible way yeah. that that thought was going through your brain at that time like what was happening you couldn't process that during a race there's been a lot of i've been a, i feel like i'm a great asset to the sport there's been a lot of good things i've done or cut on camera like erzberg battling to the finish with taylor robert when no one's done that before the next year at erzberg i ghost rode my bike on camera and passed alfredo gomez like right at the finish yeah, that the one's next year where again I ghost rode my bike again on the same hill, and then I, I did a standing ovation and bowed to the crowd. Um, one time I felt super bad, but like I had an gnarly arm pump and like crashed off the track and like literally took out a track worker, like this poor flagger girl in Spain. It was it was horrendous. Like she got taken out so hard, and then everyone was like, 
Cody Webb's the worst person. Like what they didn't see was like, I went straight to her after the race and like made sure she was okay. The next day I saw her and like personally signed a Jersey for her. Like I didn't just leave this person hanging, but right. it was, a, it was really spectacular. Like it's something you see on, uh, it was really bad. I felt but bad about that. I, I mean, I think there's some assumed risk of like people watching the sport and like, they know these are fans they're yeah. complete. I mean, you oh, don't I, want it to I happen. I tagged the spectator at TKO one year and got on my cameras before Instagram was very big. I, I think I post it somewhere. Who knows where it is? But like in the qualifier, I come out of the woods fully decked. I clicked third coming in like as I exited the woods. And this dude tried to like run across the course before I got there and just tag this dude. <laughs> and I like, I finished the like, prologue and like rode straight to that area. And I was like, where are you? Like, what are you doing? And he hid. Rightfully so. Idiot. He hid. I never saw the guy. I tried to find him. Oh, I love that. Just to ask him, like, what do you? Why did you run away? Like, what were you thinking? He obviously, knew I was coming. <laughs> There's so many things that you just alcohol, I guess. Who knows? Yeah, it's a it's a shit show for sure. Like but, a GNCC, I can't imagine. How, like, it's probably just a normal occurrence for people to get run over by a quad or oh, and they're flying. Well, cause yeah. people are like, they're just camping. So then they like, well, they're going the out there to help too. Cause there's the mud bogs and they're all about just like pointing lines. And it's like a football tailgate. It's like a really bizarre cult following, but it, what, I mean, yeah. whatever people like what they like. Let's talk enduro memes. We'll put them on. We'll put them even more on the map. How are you like the most memed <laughs> enduro cross rider I... on the planet? Like this, how does this happen? I mean, it's great marketing, but like they just yeah, like, well, somehow i don't even know how i found it originally but like everyone's like convinced it was me and like one of my buddies did like this whole scientific research <laughs> quote unquote and he's like there was only three people i know that like the very first enduro memes post and you're one of them so that's how i know it's you and i'm like that's terrible <laughs> i love <science>. that <laughs> but i don't know i think cause i like found it early on and i thought it was hilarious and there really wasn't anything for that like i feel like my instagram pages i only really only follow people i know well or i want to see and if it's an acquaintance i'm like i don't i just it's yeah. mostly just meme pages i follow and people i know really well um but so i think because right early on i started like engaging and like messing around and like i've definitely made a decent amount of memes that i've sent to them to be shared um so I think I have that like uh, connection from the back from the get go, and then I don't know how it happened. I kind of do, but like I started riding with my buddies here in Colorado, and they like they were calling me Goat Boy because I was just going up this like ridiculous stuff. And then Goat Boy was like obviously in each easily like play on words with Cody, so it was like Goaty. And then it was like all these like goat memes took off and goats are like the perfect animal for hard enduro. So they just like ping pong off rocks. So I think just cause I mess or like joke around with them a lot on DMS on Instagram. And then the goatee thing. I think that's, that's probably why. It's funny how it happens. Like in the ski industry, Cody Townsend is like the most memed. Maybe it's just the name Cody. But yeah. like they just—it's just easy. It's easy to target us. But I think, and we we really don't care. Like, there's been like 
I don't, there isn't like, I don't know. There's never been anything I've been like offended by each one. I found like hilarious. And then I literally remember it was after I won Enduro Cross in Denver. I said some stupid comment about like Colton Haker coming on me from behind. And I, as soon as I said it, I was like, I'm so done. It's over. Like, yeah. Is, I think it was wins. on Enduro memes that night. And I was like, God damn it. The, the internet. That's the only one where I was like, uh, regretted it. You know, the internet always wins. Yeah. I think it's always. the name Cody. Uh, Two stroke or four stroke? I mean, I I definitely prefer the two stroke. I I'm upset with myself that I ride a four stroke for enduro cross. I tried to ride an enduro cross or two stroke and enduro cross um, my first year with Sherco, and I was just like a baby giraffe out there. <laughs> and then I got on the four stroke. I was like a stock two fifty F that I was giving back to them because they gave me a 250F just to like ride. And I only rode it like six times because I did the GNCC. So I rode like the motocross track twice and then went and rode a GNCC. But um, I was like the same lap time or faster on a bone stock 250F. And I was like, damn it, I have to ride a four stroke for enduro cross. But I really prefer the two stroke just, just for the riding I do on a normal basis. I just, it's my go-to. Yeah, I'm. I, I always said if I had a hypothetical lap time, because I went four stroke last year, or two, I don't know, whenever. And I was like, if I had a hypothetical lap time, I was so much faster on my four stroke, but it just doesn't feel right. Yeah, yeah. Just I don't know. It's good for like a motocross track, or you don't have to shift quite as much, and it's easier to jump. That's basically I ride for enduro cross. It's easier to jump for the rock obstacles. I don't think it's really any better that much for me. Um, yeah, I just I have more fun on the two stroke, and even the new TPIs. Um, I traded bikes with someone for a second when I first had my Sherco, and I rode the new Gas Gas, and I was so bored on it. I don't know, like the power delivery wasn't fun and i was like can i get back on my bike now like that was uh, my, that's my next question just, it's going to be fuel injected or carbureted i don't know i'm so carbureted at this point but like it's going to change i don't know when i you know maybe this new uh whatever tbi they're calling it which is literally just a fuel inject it's just a fancy name it's it's fuel injected two-stroke now they just have to maybe change that'll be the better. tpi because everyone hated it so now it's tbi so it's yeah that was another reason why i changed too um i rode kyle redmond he used to race um i rode his he was riding a Sherco, and he was literally just like a clapper practice bike he had with nothing done to it and i had like my fully uh, factory prepped, you know, different ECU, different this, different that, and um, KTM. And we're riding this really gnarly steep thing, and I'm like second gear, like clutching it. And he's like, dude, just he's like, just ride my bike. I'm like, no, dude, like, there's no way, like, I'm not riding that thing. He's like, he's like, trust me, and the motor's pretty good. You should ride it. I was like, all right, fine. So I hopped on his bike, didn't change anything, and then like. I rode right up this thing with like torque, like a torque monster. And I got to the top and I was like, I didn't say anything. I went, rode right back down. I went and tried it again, rode, did the same exact thing. And I was like, what the, like, I got down, like, this thing's really good. What the hell? 
didn't expect that. That's amazing. So, yeah. So carbureted now, but future's future. Once they hone it in, it'll be great. Like it's. Yeah. That, well, that's what I was going to get to is like the four strokes, like, you know, no one wants to ride like an O2 YZ250 F with a carburetor anymore. My buddy had that bike. It had like the, the hot start lever, the whatever the hell. Only the owners and, can start them. Yeah. And they're, they're so crappy compared to the new ones. So that same thing's going to happen with uh, two strokes at some point. And it's great that, you know, I think the best the thing I like is, you know, companies like, it's really only European companies, but they're the only ones that are still developing two strokes at least. Yeah, I'm... I will as soon as the company announces they're done with two strokes, I'm gonna buy like ten of them. That's gonna be me. I have them all created and <laughs> stockpiling them all up. In twenty years, I'll have a brand new 2024 whatever, and people will be like, "This guy is an insane human being," and I'll be like, "Yep." And everyone will be on yep. electric, and I'll be like, "I don't think so." I do have a super old vintage like street bike. I have like an old Bonneville like Triumph. And it's got the the shifter on the right. Oh yeah, the brake pedal on the left. And I hadn't started it in months. I think I last time I rode it was January, and then I was doing super enduro. I got hurt, and it was like two days before I had my surgery. I was like, I just kind of want to ride because I hadn't ridden any motorcycle. So I was like, well, I have to start this thing, and it has like the little ticklers on the carbs. It started second kick, and I was like. That is so reliable. This thing's in 1966. Yeah. It's been sitting since January. And then a brand new whatever doesn't start for sure. I got a 65 Volkswagen. I like bump the key and it sits there and idles. And then like yeah. my brand new Sprinter van has like a low tire pressure warning. And it's like, nope, not today. And I'm like, what do you mean? Yeah. Like, how, how does this exist? I, I got rid of my Sprinter because I got tired of all the emissions issues on it. Because it was like the 2012. So it was the early def. And I had almost 200,000 miles. And it was like every month I was trying to fight an engine light. So I got a 2020 Transit now. And uh, just a warning, fair warning for anyone. Uh, if it says it's out of gas, it runs out of gas really quickly. because It's I got, actually out of gas. And make sure you have dirt bike fuel. But it's been like twice now where like I like didn't want to stop on the way home. I got home. It was pretty low. And then I'm like kind of on my driveway, which is a little bit of an incline. And it like won't start because it doesn't have enough fuel. I mean, like, you gotta, how did I get home? It's, I mean, that's how it goes. It's long nights, long drives. That's how, I mean, yeah. what motor? Do you have the 37 or the EcoBoost? I have the EcoBoost. Yeah, it's such a good motor. It's so, it's stupid. so fast. It's so stupid in a van. I had the Power Stroke Transit, just the five cylinder. And I would, t- I would trade that any day from now I have a Sprinter and I'll take, I would take my Transit any day of the week. I, th- I think they discontinued that diesel. On they the did. Transit, yeah. They did. But it was, I had zero issues. I don't know. Whatever. It's probably emissions. It's yeah. always, it's always emissions. Cody, thank you. Thank you for your time. Uh, before we end this whole thing, people to thank, sponsors to thank. Where can people follow you, find you? Um, I guess obviously I want to thank factory one Trico racing team, uh, Red Bull. I don't think they even know what I'm doing half the time, but they support cool stuff. So they let me kind of do whatever I want, which is (laughs) 
awesome. I love that in a company, no stress or pressure, stress or pressures there. And then, um, you know, obviously all the sponsors with the team and then, um, Scott goggles, Arai helmets, Garnane really, um, CTI knee braces has been super helpful after I blew my knee out. They have really nice braces and I haven't got my all sport dynamics one yet, but I'm excited to uh, get some comfortability back and hopefully get on the bike. So yeah, all them, obviously my family for letting me go do these things and my mechanic because I'd be screwed without him. And I guess I have a Twitter. I don't go on there hardly. I just, I stalk on there. That is Cody Webb underscore two Instagram, Cody Webb to Facebook is just there. I don't really do anything on it. Uh, oh, if you go to cw2racing.com, I have a bunch of stupid enduro themed shirts, two stroke shirt. I have goatee th- shirts, church for kids, your wife, your girlfriend. <laughs> uh, I, don't, I don't really make any money on that. I just do that for fun. Like, I basically do it to break even and hopefully have people wearing cool shirts about two strokes. And I got a YouTube. I'm starting my YouTube again here in a bit. Um, I haven't been riding, but I plan on getting back on there again. So I don't know what the name is for that. Just type in Cody Webb and something will show up. (laughs) Uh, Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you for short notice on this too. So. I got nothing. I literally, I have nothing to do. Like, let's do this thing. 